0: Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at boyermiller.com and by your podcast team where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick.
1: All right. <laughs> <Science> <laughs> <experimentation>. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Building, Building Texas, Texas Business, Business Live. live. <clears throat> So honored tonight, wanted to have all of you here, but especially to have Ryan and Crystal Wall, good friends of ours, here with us tonight to share their story. We started this podcast a year and a half ago. This is episode 40. Uh, so yes. Wow. Landmark. And uh, so yeah, it's all about meeting and hearing the stories of entrepreneurs and business owners. So sit back, enjoy your wine, and we're going to learn a little bit more about Ryan and Crystal's story. So thank you both for being here.
0: Thank you for having
1: us. Thank you for having us. We're
0: thrilled. This is fun.
1: Yeah. So let's, I mean, I always start the podcast off asking someone, you know, what you're known for. So that's, we kind of know what you're known for. But the other part of that question is what inspired you to get into the business you're in and yours is pretty unique and special. So Ryan, can you start with what inspired you to be a winemaker and start a winery?
2: Yeah. Well, I brought a special prop. Brought a display. Awesome. Brought a display.
1: So okay.
2: I grew up in Oregon, rural Oregon, and I got a scholarship to Santa Clara, and I wanted to be a doctor, so I was in the biochemistry program there, and my freshman year, I met a girl, not Crystal. We'll call Everybody her Courtney, because that. Yeah. that was her we'll name. We'll call her Courtney. Anyway, I met Courtney. And her dad, I think, didn't really know what to do with a young man from Oregon. It was about a week before my 18th birthday. And he looked at me on a Saturday afternoon and he said, hey, would you like to open up a bottle of wine from the year you were born? And I've kind of made it a point in my life to say yes to everything, unless it's illegal, <laughs> I'm not Thank you. Tell for you, I've never that. done anything illegal. <laughs> we, but did I, I tell I, you,
1: we're recording this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right.
2: So, I, I'm a big yes, right? Because life and experiences. There's so many things to experience, and saying yes just feels better than no. So I've just kind of done that my my whole life. So I said yes to this, even though I'd never had wine. My family weren't big alcohol drinkers, and definitely not wine. And we went into his cellar, and he said pick out a bottle of wine. And I went over to this case. It was an unfinished cellar. It was like the underneath portion of his house. And I went over and just picked out a a bottle. And I looked at him and I said, hey, what do you think of this? And he goes, man, I have no idea. I drink vodka. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm holding this bottle. like, what is happening right now? Like I'm underneath his house and I've got this wine and what? And he goes, grab two. I was like, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Two bottles upstairs. We open it and he starts swirling and he's smelling it. So I'm awkwardly swirling. You know, remember the first time you're swirling? And I was like, oh goodness. And I put my nose in that glass and my whole world changed. And in that moment, everything went dark his name's Ted. Ted was no longer there. It was like a movie where everything went dark and it was me and this bottle and this glass of wine. And it just it was super infectious to me. And I had to figure out what made this. He let me keep the bottle. And from there, I ended up going to work out in a vineyard. That was my job during college. My mentor worked at a a winery outside in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And I remember back then in the 90s, you didn't have any Google, so I had to go through the Yellow Pages wineries. Oh, great. And I started at A, and I called them all. And it wasn't until I got to S, (laughs) I got to Savannah Chanel, and I dialed that number, and Michael McNeil called. Or He picked up the phone, and I was like, oh. And I asked him if I could get a job, and he goes, oh, yeah, sure. Hey, why don't you come up here? And I was like, really? (laughs) That's <laughs> great. He threw me out in a vineyard and that was 28 harvests ago. So that's all I've done in my career is grow grapes and make wine. And I brought that bottle for everybody to see. So one of our customers who are amazing are our fockers. We call them the fockers. So that, yeah, you get focked and you become a focker and it's all great. But that stands for Friends of Wah Club. Chris is one. <laughs> Thank you for
1: clarifying what it was before you said I was one. You're
2: welcome. You're welcome. Anyway, one of our customers accidentally broke it in (laughs) 2003, but my beautiful wife put it into a shadow box, and this sits in our house. When you walk in, it hangs in our entryway, and so it's always a reminder. Every wah wine you're ever going to have, every time I grow grapes, every time I taste a grape, every time I do anything in winemaking, I always think about that moment with that wine and try to emulate that. In the best way I can, right? And it doesn't have to just be cab. When I'm making Pinot or any anything, it doesn't matter because it's a feel, right? Like wine is it's a it's the way it feels on the palate. It's the fun thing about wine. Like the cool thing about wine is not the alcohol, right? That's the cool shit about spirits. Right, <laughs> that's why we drink Sorry. spirits. Sorry, I swore. Yeah. first time. That's all right. Um, hopefully, the last. Anyway, what we really love about wine is all the stuff: the aromas, the color, the flavor, the feel of it. I mean, all of the, all of those things. Right, that's what makes it so amazing and remarkable. But anyway, this is how it started. And oh, that's a, a bottle of so Stagsley. This is a 1976 Stag's Leap Wine Cellars Cabernet Sauvignon made by Warren Winarski. So this was the year that in 1976, there was a very famous tasting in Paris known as the taste heard around the world that they put on in, in Paris. And they took the most expensive Chardonnays from Burgundy and the most expensive Bordeaux from Bordeaux. And then they took the Napa Valley Chard and the Napa Valley calves and they did them double blind. So nobody knew what they were tasting, and both the Montelena Chardonnay came in one in the Chardonnay, one best Chardonnay in the world, and the stag the 1973 vintage of Stagsley Wine Cellars won that tasting as the best Cabernet in the world, and that's what shot Napa to the moon, and it hasn't stopped, which is kind of kind of wild. Very cool. Yeah. Super that's great. There you go. Okay, so that that's, was the inspiration. That's did, my baby.
1: How did you get, I mean, you, so then you got to start a business, business, right? <laughs> oh, thank you. Easy now. Uh, <laughs> get excited. The, you start this business, this winery, and I know having, in the early days, you then meet Crystal. So tell us maybe a little bit about what it was like to just go on your own to start something from scratch, and then how does Crystal come into the picture, and then maybe you can yeah. share Crystal a little bit about your role, and how you all sh- you know, being in a family business is one thing, but husband and wife working together all day, every day is a whole nother ball of wax, right? So, Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, it's been eight, 18 them.
2: years and, you know, I would probably be the equivalent of like a struggling actor or writer in Los Angeles, like still, if it wasn't for Crystal. And it was March 5th of 2004. I started out in 2000 making wine in a garage in a house that I was renting in Napa. A real terrible place. <laughs> you know, you, you really heard, terrible you know it was coming. Like a lean, it was like termites holding hands. It's awful. Built in the 50s and it was awful. She only stayed there one time and then had to move. Anyway, I got asked to do a tasting at the Villaggio, which is a very famous hotel in Yontville. And I'm a, I'm making maybe three 400 cases at the time. And they invited me to pour my wine on a Friday night for guests when they arrive and get exposure and whatever. I didn't have a tasting room. didn't have a winery. I was just making wine. And so I'm there. I'm all set up. And this group of 10 girls walk in. And they're super loud. Everybody's going crazy. And the bride walks up to me. And she said, oh, I'm getting married in a couple months, and I got all my girls here, and we're at a bachelorette party, whatever. I was like, oh, sweet. So I'm like, hey, Zinfandel. you know? <laughs> she comes up for another glass. I'm like, we're celebrating. And she comes up for a third glass. And I was like, wow, she really likes this. It's great. <laughs> and it turns out that she went back to Kathy Tortomasi. Kathy, if you're listening to this, she,
1: oh, no, she,
2: she goes back to the group and she wants to come up for a fourth glass, but she's embarrassed. So she's asking all her girlfriends who hasn't been up there for wine. So one of them hadn't been up there and she came up and asked for some zin and we got married a year later. So that's how I met. Crystal Kettle, Crystal Wah, sweet thing, and 18 years, and it turns out she was, I mean, she changed my life in many ways. Most importantly, personally, I was a little lost, as you can tell. I'm a very passionate person, and sometimes <laughs> you, didn't you can <laughs> go off course a little bit, and, you know, most, <clears throat> I mean, I hate saying, I mean, I'm a, I am an artist, which means I'm a little crazy, <laughs> and so Crystal is not. She is my center. She's my rock. She's everything. And when,
1: to make when I when thing. I when I met her. I didn't her, bring Kleenex. Up I know. Here, okay? so,
2: <laughs> when, no. when I met her, I was selling wine everywhere. I was doing all this stuff and, you know, private tastings and I was doing wholesale. I was doing all these, didn't really have any focus. I was just in my pants, right? Like I just love growing grapes. And I love making wine and you know, no real focus. And she came in and just stabilized everything. And we went from 300, 400 cases to the 3,000 to 4,000 that we are now, almost all direct to consumer, all because of Crystal. I mean, we have a lot of wine club members and all of them have Crystal's cell phone. They all text her. She manages all their accounts. She knows their kids, their cats, their dogs, their whatever. I mean, she is a total
1: badass. Well, that's a great and, segue. I want to talk to yes. the badass now. Oh, uh, you should. So, so Crystal, I mean, yeah, how bad was it when you stepped in? I mean, I, 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 what, <laughs> what? So, so what, what were some of the thing things you did to help organize <laughs> this? business. I mean, and 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 what what experiences you had before that doing that?
0: Well, so I didn't have any wine, like professional wine experience. I mean, I had like professional happy hour experience, like maybe (laughs) a lot of y'all do. Right. So I drank wine, loved wine, obviously went on this Napa trip, but I started my career at Neiman Marcus. So I went through their executive training program Back in 19, January of 1994. So that dates us a little bit, yeah. right? So I did that whole track. I did the buying. I did the store management. And then I, instead of going back into buying, I skipped into HR. I went into recruiting because I love people and I love just interacting. I love being out there. I love selling the company that I worked for and the wonderful programs. And, and that whole customer service aspect was, is huge that I learned that all of that really Transitioned over to what we do with WAW. So that's how I spent the first I mean, I graduated from Annaman. Hey, yes! Yes!
1: yes. I, I, yay, yay! Yay! For uh, those of <laughs> you who are from Texas, I'm
0: from Texas. Right? Right? So that was December of 93. I moved to Dallas. I'm from Houston. I grew up here, but I moved to Dallas for the job. And when I met Ryan, I was still with Neiman Marcus. So I was there 11 years. I don't know. Would I still be there? Uh, who knows? Like, the course of your life is going to be, you know, yeah, things happen. Sure. And I mean, did anybody ever think I'd move to California? Probably not. But um, you all know about the vacation that I took and met him and moved out there. So when I did move out there, I originally I went to work for Williams-Sonoma. So I had to go find another great company. And I did corporate recruiting from them in San, for them in San Francisco. And it wasn't until January of 2009, you know, I was the stability, financial stability with that. You know, as he's talking about, I mean, what we do is, it's crazy. It's farming, it's winemaking, and whatever you make, you have to sell if you're going to make any money and live. So you never know what that's going to look like. And if you want to grow, obviously, you have to put more into it. So it was really nice to have that kind of corporate stability for a while. So I did that when we, when I moved to California, I guess it was in 2005. I left Neiman's. I went to work for William sonoma did corporate recruiting there. I did the whole commute back and forth between Napa and San Francisco. That was brutal. So I understand the traffic situation. But once I, I got on board, we started changing our focus from... I mean, there was focus. He doesn't give himself enough credit. He really doesn't. I mean, he had done amazing to this point. But it was mostly wholesale at this point. And we were only maybe 500 cases. So we didn't even make that much. So we flipped the model and we... Together, I mean, he, he gives me all the credit. It's not all me. But... I focused on the direct-to-consumer. So we flipped the model from mostly wholesale to mostly direct-to-consumer. Obviously, the margins are very different. And we had a great base to work with because of what he had already to this point. So this was in 2005. You started in 2000. So there was a good four to five years of a customer base that Ryan had built. And so we utilized that and started growing our wine club. And we flipped the model. And to this day, we're probably 92% direct-to-consumer primarily wine club and we do a little bit of wholesale. So that's the main thing that I did. And it was really just customer focus. And he's always been really interactive with the customers, even at that time before you met me. And it just gave, I gave him the ability to go focus in the vineyard and do what he loves, which you've heard from him. And you can <laughs> see the passion and what he says is to grow the grapes, manage the vineyards, make the wine. And he's great at selling it and he loves doing tastings, but that's where he wants to be. So I gave him the ability to focus more of his time there and to perfect his art while I was managing and working with customers, which I love because I was a recruiter and love people. And it really just, it just worked out really well. Perfect, so, perfect
1: team. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, <laughs> so, sorry, Crystal. So, I mean. I love wine, and I think most people here do. So what y'all do sounds like the coolest job in the world. And I'm sure, like anything, when you do it every day, maybe not so much. But what was the biggest maybe surprise for you when you stepped into the wine business To going, like, oh, my gosh.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'd say I didn't, you know, what everybody kind of sees is what I saw before, too, which is, like, the sexy part of it. It's drinking that bottle of wine, having that glass of wine, you know, making memories with people that you're hanging out with, which is wonderful, and that's what the end consumer should be doing, that all of the work that goes in behind the scenes, I mean, it is a very physical, very demanding, very complicated, very hard, difficult job to be a grape grower and a winemaker. Not all winemakers grow their own grapes. Not all grape growers make wine, but this one does both. So between the two of us, we do everything from literally farming to end consumer. So, but for me, the biggest surprise was just all that went into it, which, you know, there always has to be behind the scenes. You just don't know what it is. I just didn't realize how physical it was like, you know, your back and your knees and your (laughs)
1: elbow. Yeah. So then, you know, thinking about the business itself, I mean, Ryan, what were some of the the lessons you learned that going from that kind of artist mentality and all I just want to do is what I, my passion and my love to, I need to have some discipline about some things to actually be able to make money. What were some of the lessons you learned that helped you focus on the making money part so the business could be sustainable.
2: How do you lose your, not lose, how do you set aside your love and your passion? Like that's my, I I get up in the morning and that's what I lead with. And that's hard. I mean, you can't be emotional with the numbers. They don't give anything back to you.
1: You know what I mean? I mean, when they feed you. looking at P&Ls
2: <laughs> and balance sheets. It's not like you're getting any love from them, right? You know what I mean? Right. And so that was really hard. But I mean, I would say the biggest lesson, and I, I'm not kidding. I know we're doing this podcast with our favorite attorney, but I would have, I never had one. And I should have had a lawyer. Should have had a good one, but... One would have been great, <laughs> and Truth. I Truth. failed to. I was I got a name, Michael McNeil, who's my mentor, and every, I just got I got caught up in a that, and I'm really good at it. Like I'm really good at it, and so I just failed. I mean, I just didn't set things up properly. I didn't I didn't do the right thing for our business. I. So I've been through lots of different partnerships. The one thing I've never done, and I'm not sure why, I never put our Wah Family Wines business in jeopardy into anything that we've done. We've only ever been the owners of it. But I've done all these other things early on and failed
1: Miserably, like really bad. So, is that picking bad partners? Yes.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And and I'm not sure it's the partners themselves, right? Like, I had a lot to to do with it too. It was not when you don't sit down and have the proper agreements in place. It means you probably didn't have the proper conversations that you needed to have, right? In order to Mm -hmm. formulate a, a plan and structure that makes sense. I mean, that's, and I've done that at least. Two, like, epic fails. (laughs) I mean, they're now funny, and we can laugh about them, Crystal and I, but they were not funny. (laughs) It was not fun.
1: Time heals all wounds. But you bring bring up up a couple of good points. We we tell clients all the time, if you have this entity you started, it's not always good to bring in partners. Or even key employees. There's other ways to incentivize them, but maintain ownership. So you at least did that right in the key part of your business.
2: I did, and honestly, I don't know why.
1: Sometimes lucky. Uh, yeah, luck. <laughs> a little bit of luck. I
2: think. Whatever. Yeah.
1: The other thing is having that hard conversation up front because in the beginning of any venture, everyone yeah. gets along and yeah. uh, we see people try to save money on the front end by not hiring a lawyer and just putting it together. And I think we the phrase we use up here is, you know, if you invest a little bit up front, it'll save you 10x on the back. And yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. when well, things yes. go bad and you did LegalZoom and that agreement doesn't cover half the stuff <laughs> that you need... <laughs> It, it's a 10X legal bill. Do you but, know legal zoom. Oh, I do. Oh, I do.
0: Okay. So
1: Close that account like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. No legal zoom. Crystal, how about you? I mean, you know, you obviously, Crystal, had, you had a business background, a corporate background, but then you stepped into this kind of effectively a startup, family-owned business. What uh-huh. were some of the, the lessons learned in, you know, having to manage and run a small company?
0: I mean for me, I mean we are we have obviously have a lot in common, but we are very different. So he's Mr. Risk Taker, Mr. Like just wants to say yes to everything. And <laughs> I am very conservative and I came from a corporate background. So I'm used to structure and things working in a certain way. And so I mean jumping into that was there was a big learning curve for me jumping into that. And it was scary, I've gotta say. Like when I we decided it was in 2009, of course. Like, that's really kind of a terrible time for me to leave the corporate job, actually. If we're thinking back on dates now. Yeah. Really,
2: let's Lehman L- L- Brothers dies in September of 08 and right. she leaves her job in January of I 09. Mean,
1: like, what geniuses. could possibly go wrong? Right.
0: Geniuses right here. That was all about it. What <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> what a great idea. So here we go. Don't take any advice from us, but it just was, uh, it was <laughs> I mean, We lost
1: all our
2: stock in Enron, so <laughs> F it. <effort. laughs>
0: like, we're back. It's fine. I don't know. I, it was hard for me to take that leap of, leaving the corporate world into jumping into this, but I mean, I desperately wanted to be involved in it on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I was kind of, I was involved in it from a distance, but I was in San Francisco all the time and he was in Napa. That's very
1: And he was in jeans and you were dressing
0: up. Yes. I was dressed up and I sat in traffic for four hours a day. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't have a blazer. We talked about this. There's no suits. But anyway, it just, yeah, for me, the, my biggest challenge was kind of adjusting to this. I don't, the unknown. Was, I mean, not that you ever really know. I mean, we don't, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow necessarily. I mean, you do in some aspects of your life, but really it's like the unknown of your financial well-being. And, um, I'm not going to say it makes you work harder because I worked just as hard, but for me it was just scary not knowing. And I'm that person. I'm also that type A personality. That's why I was always in, in the corporate job, which I still love and adore. And I'm not in it anymore. I still appreciate that, but I have learned to really appreciate this environment. And I think I've thrived in it. And I definitely think because I'm so conservative and because I have that structured background, I that's what really helped me to ground for us to kind of meet in the middle. And him to bring me out of like, it doesn't always have to be like this and this. And I'm like, it doesn't always have to be like just whatever, anything, you know? But so that was the most challenging part for me and figuring out how to function successfully in that environment. I don't know exactly how I did that, to be honest with you. It just Day to day. You learn right. as you go. Survived. You just survive. Like we, you learn as you go. We day-to-day. have
2: yeah. never had a conversation formally about our roles in the company. We don't have, we don't have weekly meetings or we don't have meetings about, Oh, you're doing that. You're doing that. Like it's very clear what each of us do, but it just happened organically. I grow grapes, oh I make wine, God. I make vodka, I do the whatever, we're there, and then I step into the sales. But she does all the back end and yeah. all the customers and all the, I mean, all of that work, all the shipping, all the, I mean, it's crazy. And we both look at each other, we're like, I couldn't do that job. Yeah. Well, like, well, I couldn't do the job, you could do my job. Well, just, I
1: mean, you <laughs> said what I was thinking, you both played each other's strengths and allow those strengths yes. to flourish. And yes. Stay. And you just
0: kind of figure it Without out. Without
2: formally discussing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I so mean, it's, it's hard to give. Wild. And we think about that a lot. We're
2: like, man, we're super lucky because we're with each other all day, every
1: day. All
2: the
0: time. And, friends I, and like, I still How? can't get enough. <laughs> How yeah. do you work with your spouse?
1: I don't, it just works. Well, because you drink wine all day. I
2: mean, <laughs> I mean, <no. laughs> I mean People think that's what answer. we do, but that's, that's not the
1: answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, so what, now we're going to, We'll talk a little bit about a transition that led to us meeting one another. And that was like so many businesses that we've seen over the last couple of years. You're in California and you moved to Texas. We've had a great fortune to help a lot of companies in that transition, you included. So tell us what led to that and how is that transition going?
0: Take that one. Well, okay, I'll start with what led to that. Well, okay. First of all, you know, they say you can't take the Texas out of the girl. I mean, uh-huh. and we always come back. I mean, it's just, is a, it's a fact. <laughs> I didn't you know. I didn't know we were coming back, but honestly, the conversation started in 2017. If y'all remember, I mean, there have been so many fires you might not remember, but the big fire in 2017, which was kind of the first one in Napa. The first big one in Napa since like many years prior, where it literally, since the 80s, since it really surrounded Napa, jumped a highway, went into Santa Rosa. And I mean, we were affected by it, not only as being a part of the community because it was just terrifying, but also the winery facility that we built, the entire property burned down. It's a 42-acre parcel of land. And the fire actually started, it was called the Atlas Fire, the first one, right? It was called yeah. the Atlas Fire. Yeah, it started on Atlas Peak, which connects to Soda Canyon, which is where we were. And so the entire thing burned. We went up, we were panicking. It was on his birthday in 2017. We went up wow. there the next day. Yeah, isn't that crazy? We walked out of dinner and just everyone said, come outside, there's ash falling. It was like raining, but it was ash, and we knew it was bad. So we went up there the next day, and it was just so devastating, it's hard to explain we literally started our conversations then. Like, what would it, I don't know, what would it look like if we moved somewhere else? I mean, when the only other somewhere else would be here. So <laughs> what would it look like if we moved to Texas? We, you know, and so we started the conversations then. We had lots of in-depth conversations about it in 17 and not even knowing that fire season was now a thing. Like, it wasn't just an isolated thing in 17. It's right. like every year since there's something and it's all over California and it's all over other States as well, you know, with the way things are going, with how dry everything is. And so 18 fires again. I mean, it just, it really has started affecting our quality of life. And also it was very scared from a business standpoint as well. And it still is. I mean, we're constantly watching that, but we talked about it every year and 19. We said, let's bring the kids. We've got two boys that are 16 and 13 now. So let's take the kids to Texas. Let's go to an A&M game. So we took them to the A&M Alabama game. (laughs) Y'all can do it. Y'all can do it. We took them to the A&M Alabama game in 19. And we were like, okay. So we started talking about actually moving to College Station. We should, we could live here. We had the conversations again. And it wasn't until 2020 that we said, okay, COVID happened. So a lot of things happened. The fires are the things, is the thing that started the conversation. But then as we started having more conversation and COVID happened, that was a strange, that whole thing was just strange. And we were all cooped up forever. Y'all weren't cooped up as long as we were, but we were cooped up forever for like a year and a half. Win- winery I mean, we shut laughed, down. But wineries, the winery, your livelihood shut down, all the restaurants, everything was shut down. And then we just started talking about like, what else is not going great here? Like, okay, the regulations. How
1: long was that list? Oh, man.
0: <laughs> well, so and then you start really digging into it. At the top
2: it. was grapes and weather. Yeah. And then were that like, that a good
0: list, yeah. So then it was uh, the regulations, which you can talk more about, but also school. Like the state kept taking money away from education, and we've got two kids that are in school. So there were a lot of considerations that we were talking about. It wasn't just the fires, but that's what started it. And so then we, like, we were serious about it at that point. We had talked about it at nauseum since seventeen. Like literally, we had this conversation probably once a quarter, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So regulations wise, though, you can kind of just give a tidbit about in terms of running our business, like not. Well, small, then it was friendly. We were you
2: know? taking 2020 a whole new world, right? Like, oh, you yeah. can do things remotely. Like I wasn't sure our Fockers would like us living somewhere else. <laughs> Why are you leaving your vines or the wine or whatever? And but it's a whole new perspective for everybody the workforce consumers whatever everybody looks at things a little bit differently and we're like i don't know maybe we can do this so we kept the house there and we moved actually we arrived christmas day of 2020 the boys and i had never seen the house nor had we ever been to magnolia that is trust. <laughs> and that we is showed trust. up christmas morning <laughs> we're like hey new town <laughs> new house and it was great and we spent that year all the way through the 21 harvest like can we do this? Can I do it remotely? Can I be a vacationing winemaker and it turns out it's the greatest thing ever? And I should have done it 10 years ago. And I get all the wonderful things that y'all love about wine and that I love about growing grapes and making wine. I get all the fun stuff and I don't have to deal with any of the negativity that that surrounds it out there because there's a lot. I mean there's just a lot going on out there and I don't have to deal with it anymore and it turns out I was a little upset early on because what I learned really was the vines really don't need me. <laughs> I took that personally for a handful of months and it turns out the wine really doesn't either.
1: Oh, it uh, does too. Because
2: I don't, once we make the wine, like it, it sits in barrel and does its thing. You know, I don't go in there all the time. I'm not, I try not to upset them. I mean, I play them music during harvest while they're <laughs> aging I and I do it, all their, well, music. Yeah. okay. Well, it depends on the varietal. Bare naked ladies. So I'm definitely a huge. Naked fan. ladies.
0: Definitely. Really great. The barrels hear that for but sure. It's pretty eclectic,
2: <laughs> my my musical interests. But whatever. The, the whole point is, what you want is the energy to the wine. That's what we focus on, and it rewards you back. I love it. I love it.
1: Okay. So tell (laughs) Tell us, what are you doing or how has your business expanded or grown since moving to Texas? What are some of the new opportunities that you've taken advantage of? What are some of the ones maybe on the horizon that you see as opportunities?
2: That's a great question. It's been awesome.
1: What we found was that leaving
2: the West Coast and being in Houston, we are remarkably closer to our customer base. Physically. So I've already done day trips to Miami, day trips to Chicago, day trips to Kansas City, like there and back, seeing Fockers and accounts and whatever and things. I've seen more people you know, in the last two years than I did. And let's take COVID out of it. But even before that, in the previous, probably five years before COVID, just because of location and how fast I can get to people. And, and, time zone. and, it's, and it's awesome. Yeah. And then we're getting back to our sort of grassroots of, because relationships every is everything to us. Like our entire business, everything is all relationships. And people that I met 20 years ago 15 years ago Matthew Pridgeon we got to who I first met at Mark's on Westheimer if you all ever went oh, to Mark's yeah, I did a wine dinner for them in 2005 I made their wine from 05 to 09 if, if you, you ever had, had a it? Mark's <laughs> if you ever had a Mark's bottle of wine I made that stuff <laughs> I said stuff thank you
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a big deal for me look at you keeping them in check She's She's a professor. I love it. She has to do this with college students all day. Oh, I love it. It Makes sense now, doesn't
2: it? (laughs) Totally does. Totally does. So we've been doing, we've been reconnecting with people. We've been doing a lot more, a little bit more wholesale. We're lots of different opportunities. People want to do tastings and they want to do things with the wine and they want you to, I I mean, it's fun. I got to, I met Avery over there. I went to a W set class. I couldn't do that in, in Napa when I'm there doing everything that we're doing. So, you know, there's all sorts of cool opportunities and stuff. I'm doing private label things for Mm -hmm. all sorts of different groups and restaurants and whatnot.
1: So that's all great. I know you've also expanded out of wine into vodkas. Tell us just briefly about the vodka, Snap Vodka. Yes. You see, he said briefly. (laughs) Briefly and keep it clean. (laughs) Never mind. Just tell tell us briefly.
0: (laughs) Just tell them them how you make the spirit. You make the spirit.
2: The crystal owns a distillery (laughs) called Texas Ferments. It's at a college station. I know. I love that. She owns a winery, too. It's a winery and distillery on the same piece of property up in College Station. She was able to get the permits, get two buildings built, start. I do all the formulations for her vodka. Took six months to do that in 9 months i was able to we were able to accomplish what took 15 years in california and i am not kidding you millions of dollars 9 months and 50 grand i'm not kidding because you you're that's Texas. that's yes. the calculus yes like I, know. The, the, I have the say, we have the same rights the same everything as you would have in california we have in college station and that was the met 50 grand to 2 million, like 1.8. Okay,
1: if there's no better commercial for it, that. Texas is business friendly, friendly. That's it. It's right. ridiculous. It's they
2: stay out of our way. I just filed the monthly reports and whatever. I, I've never even seen a building official. <laughs> I've never even seen one. I submit my stuff, and well, it's not in I know, so and spite anybody. Yeah. Like you well, might it's wanna... COVID, so Eddie. they were doing things through. Uh... <laughs> I hope the building inspectors <laughs> in Brazos <Nebraska laughs> County
1: don't lose their job over that. Uh,
2: are there any here? I'm not yeah, the one that here? didn't yeah. show up. But they might listen. I don't know. I mean,
0: yeah. Eddie, we're
2: just going to... Yeah.
1: Whoop, whoop. So good. block from yeah. Okay. Just block it. But so, but so, then, so Snap Vodka was born. Snap Vodka was born.
2: So Snap Vodka was born.
1: And if, if any of y'all Can I took part in one the one drink, one drink one we had tonight, one one in addition to the one wine, one there was a Snap Vodka drink there. So hopefully we can start getting it here in Houston soon. I know you're working on that.
2: Oh yeah. You can get it at Moxie's. You can get it at B&B Butchers. You can, I'll go
1: through the whole list of where you can get the wine and the vodka. You can get it at Specs on Smith
2: Street. Yeah. Specs
1: downtown.
0: Downtown you can.
1: So another great story to tell, I think, because you two obviously are proud, successful entrepreneurs. It clearly rubbed off in your offspring because (laughs) One of your kids, at least, is an, uh, an entrepreneur now. Carter, tell yep. us a little about Carter's venture because we've helped him too with his yep. flip crits. Yeah. So give us a little quick vignette about what that is and
2: where yeah, they can I be did. found. Now you go. In 2017, Carter was eight years old, and we were on a vacation, and he came to me with an idea, and he said, "Daddy." I hate my Crocs and I hate my flip flops. I'd like to make a flip crit. And I (laughs) said, what? His nickname is Crit or Critter, Crit for short. And I said, well, you got to put together a business plan, buddy. And he goes, what's a business plan? And I said, well, you got to write the reasons why. Why are you going into business? And then who, what, where, when, blah, blah, blah. You got to write down how you're going to make money. Like, what is this thing about? What are you doing? Anyway, he went and did this three-page little business plan. Hilarious. But there was a lot of substance in there. And I sent it off to, I'd learned a lot of things, and I sent it off to our IP lawyer. And his name is Chris. Yes, different Chris. It was really wild. And Chris came back two days later and he's like, you're not going to believe this, but I think your son could get a utility patent on the design of his shoe. And I said, what? what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, not only that, Like he's created some words like that have never been created before. <laughs> so we could protect those. And I was like, yeah, do that. Yeah. And so Critz was born. Carter owns the word adventurability. He owns sugar foam. He owns all sorts of stuff. And he has a utility patent on the shoe. Anyway, Yada, he sells in Nordstrom. What? You go to what? Crit. Yes. Yeah. If you Google crits, you'll see it. The first thing that comes up is Nordstrom. Nordstrom comes Nordstrom. up
0: first. It is
2: crits.com. Yeah. Crits.com. Yeah, right? <laughs> anyway, he's a cool little dude and you'll see his videos and all his stuff. He's, he's 13 he's now. He's awesome. <laughs> we are in, and in all fairness, what we're trying to do is onshore all of, all of crits because we kind of got, crushed in his design is a cement construction so it's pieced together lots of different layers and pieces vibram outsole to you know all the different pieces the his eva foam is made out of sugar cane byproduct sugar production out of brazil but all those materials went to southern china and we actually went over there twice to the factories and carter worked with everybody and his designers and everybody that helped him all his mentors are here in the u.s Anyway, we're bringing it back to to the states. And working on the new round of crits that'll be coming out. Because our wine and the vodka, we now, everything we do is made in the USA. Everything. Except the cork. Because we don't grow any cork trees (laughs) in the U.S. So the Amrim is our supplier. and They're incredible. But we got to get the corks from Portugal. But everything else, all the glass, all the, I mean, everything that we do all comes from the
1: U.S. now. Which is great. Yeah. All right, right, that's amazing stories. So we're going to get a little bit fun and kind of try to wrap this up. It hasn't been up. fun already?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like yeah. I got long fun. faces. It just goes by so fast. <laughs> I know. So
1: I want to know from both of you, what was your first job? Like ever.
0: Oh, ice cream. I scooped ice cream at on Dairy Ashford and...
1: Baskin Robbins or
0: what? No, it was called Yogurt and Cream. Was that Westheimer or Briar Forest? Anyway, it was one of
2: those.
0: Yeah. Oh. I was 15. Yeah.
2: I don't know if that was legal.
1: But. Back then it
0: was. I don't know. Sure. Anyway, four dollars an
2: hour. New New Newburg Pizza Parlor in tiny little Newburgh, Oregon. I was a dishwasher and I cleaned the restaurant.
0: He's really still good at dishwashing.
2: I am. It's actually it's a it's cathartic for me. Yeah. I do love cleaning. It's part right. of if you make really good alcohol, you tend to clean things really well. You're better. <laughs> be careful.
1: How about that be hey, I mean, little nonfat,
0: really clean, it all needs to be very clean. All you to go
2: home tonight. What
1: do you, learn? you learn? Well, well, I learned that if you make <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very sanitary. Nothing That's else nice. about the night, but okay. Takes a lot of beer to make great wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. All right, Crystal. Since you're the native Texan, Tex-Mex or barbecue?
0: Oh, Tex-Mex.
2: Queso.
1: Tex-Mex. Queso. Nobody okay.
0: knows what queso is in California. It was very difficult.
1: for How'd you live that long? I made Wait. my
0: own. Yes, made your own. I had customers bringing it in okay. for yeah, me. Yeah, they yeah, did, like that. on dry ice back in the day. Back in the day. That's
1: <laughs> really, you could do really that. Dumb. I know. It was well, desperate times. was your favorite queso
0: then? Oh, man. Oh, gosh. You can't ask me that right now because, oof. Okay. Okay, I can't. So I don't know.
1: Do so so yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. embarrass anybody? Yeah, or, I don't know. There's a lot of, yeah, Okay. All right, so now let's do some wine education. So I brought a prop. In his pocket. In my pocket. Oh, so the cork.
0: Good. Okay. Yes. Okay, oh, lots of questions about
1: the cork. Yes. Right. Do you smell it or not, or does it really matter? You absolutely
2: can. I do. What do you what learn from it by doing that? There's really just one thing I'm looking for. So there is a compound called trichlorine anisole. We all know it as TCA, if you've ever heard of this. Or if you've ever heard the term, the wine is corked. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there's a compound found in nature. You can also get it if you use any bleach materials in your winery. Don't ever do that. <laughs> or your distillery. <laughs> Don't ever, no bleach. But it's a, it's something that is, is found, can be found in nature and it's found in cleaning products, bleach. And if it is inside the cork and you put that into the wine, when it connects with the wine, it will turn your wine into what smells like a dirty disgusting dog or Molded. or wet moldy wool or just like nasty okay <laughs> and we call that TCA or corked so you can when you if you get a hint of it in the, that's why they open up a bottle at the table and then pour a little bit for you. You're supposed to, it's not whether or not you like it. Listen, you bought that. Just because you don't, <laughs> yeah, it's just because you don't like the wine, you can't send that back. Okay. If it has a flaw in it, if this TCA is in there and it's off and you're going to know because it's nasty, you Absolutely. smell it. Well, it can be faint at times. It's not faint if you smell the end of that cork. If you put the end of that cork up there, you're gonna know. Sometimes I'll just grab the cork and smell it and be like, yeah. That's toast. Now there's a anywhere between (laughs) two to five percent of all wines are corked with TCA, and that's coming down every year because we're doing different things. Like we were one of the very first wineries to get into NDTech corks. So this came out of technology from the AMREMs. This is awesome. They take, we pay for this. Every single cork goes through a machine that locks it into a chamber and then it sucks out all of the air and and the cork expands. And then you have this machine just analyzes every single square inch of that cork and tells you whether or not it has any TCA. And then it comes out and they print it on the cork. It has an identifier so that if you if you buy a $125 bottle of Wacab and we sell it to you, you open it up and you're like, whoa, that's corked. Amrim reimburses, we send you a new bottle, which is great, but they reimburse us for the total value of the bottle of wine. So that's called insurance, <laughs> which I also learned uh, was really good to have.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's it. I mean, what can you learn from maybe the how much
2: how red or yes. This? That tells you right there that the if the wine is has not bled through the cork, that means it has been stored in the proper temperature. Right? So if the wine if the cork has any flaws in it whatsoever and you put that wine direct sunlight or you put it in any temperature that's going to rise, the wine will go straight up that cork. Mm. Path of least resistance, just like water, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to look at that. Is the cork compromised there? That could probably tell you more than likely it was sitting in a temperature that it didn't enjoy. It's not
0: hot here, though. I don't
2: know why that would happen. It could be on the... Don't leave it on the top (laughs) of your refrigerator. You know, I mean, there's... You know, wine likes to be... I'd say it's got to be under 70 degrees. Okay, I'm not telling you it's got to be 55 degrees. You don't have to get a fancy you know, cellar. You don't have to do whatever you want to do. You, you can put it in a closet. A lot of us have a closet that never reaches 70 degrees or whatever. If you want to do that, I'm not going to tell you. you got to build some fancy thing. But temperature fluctuation will destroy your wine. It doesn't like to just go up and down. And too hot, wine will push right through the cork, and that's what you'll see. Gotcha.
1: Very good. Okay. Another question. Legs.
2: Yes. Right?
1: Yep. What does that, that tell me? us? Yeah, easy. Got um <laughs> We're still, still filming. Funny. I know I'm so. Cl- oh, sorry.
2: All right. I know it's not close enough to her. I don't yeah. like this. You
1: are so five, Tell us what we can learn. Okay, about the legs
2: so legs le- legs are funny. <laughs> legs are super funny. They are not the biggest myth. Is that people look at the legs and then they determine the quality of the wine. Just don't do that. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. <laughs> if you're going to do that, do it with other novices. <laughs> do not do it in front of any winemaker. You can do it in front of some psalms because they don't know either. But You can. Totally kidding. What it's really going to tell you, the reason we use them, like we will use it to try to determine if we're doing a blind tasting, something about the wine. So the, the width of the legs is going to tell you, and how fast they run is going to tell you how much alcohol and potentially how much sugar is inside of the wine, which will then tell you something about it that you can be like, oh, is that cab, pinot, merlode, whatever? So if they're real thin and they run real fast, really high alcohol. If they stick to the side of the glass, it probably has something in there that could potentially be not natural or like an, an additive could be added sugar. It could be, there's lots of different things that people add to wine. We do not. We don't do, we don't use pesticides. We don't use herbicides. We don't irrigate. We are kind of naturalists. We're very, there's more things we don't put in the wine than we actually do put in the wine now. But that's all it's gonna, that's all it's gonna tell you. How much alcohol is in there and potentially sugar content. And then you use it if you're trying to identify it in a blind tasting. Otherwise, don't.
0: But, <laughs> Just oh don't look stop. at the legs
2: on that. It's such a great wine.
0: I hear that a lot actually.
1: Don't yeah, do yeah. That. I do
2: hear that a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then lastly, where since we're in Houston, where around here can we find your wines? Our wine, yes. We don't
2: do any retail, so I'm sorry about that, but I brought my handy list so we didn't forget
1: any of our, our partners. Well house. in addition to the I guess QR codes where you could go to their website sorry. and sign up to be a Falker.
0: That's
2: correct. Yes. That's if correct. you are a fokker and get fucked, you have yeah. access to everything. everything.
0: And mix. we have fun, in case y'all didn't but, notice. Yeah, it's pretty
2: fun. <laughs> a little um, bit. Just a little, little yeah. bit. <laughs> so you can go to some of our favorite places. And B&B Butchers, you can get Crystal Bubbles by the glass at B&B. It's kind of cool. Uchico that just opened. Moxie's, we're the only Zinfandel by the glass at Moxie's. We're also the only Cabernet Franc on the list at Moxie's. You can also get the Snap at Moxie's. They have a new gingerbread snap for the holidays that's Ooh, launching on November sixteenth. Super cool. Bricks Wine Cellars up in Vintage Park off at two forty nine has three or four of our wines. Woodlands Country Club. Carlton Woods Country Club, I think they have six of our wines at Carlton Woods. Red Flame up in Magnolia, that's our cheers, that's where we hang out. (laughs) Rail and Rye in Navasota, 1860 up in College Station. Texas A&M Hotel and Conference Center now has our wine. And the vodka up in College Station. Ocean Prime in Dallas, there's three Moxies locations in and around Dallas up there. And Dallas Petroleum Club, if you happen to go up there. They pour our wines by the glass. The
0: Pinot. Our Pinot
2: by the glass. Yeah. And then they have our cab, which mm-hmm. is kinda cool. And then the vodka specs, we said, our liquors up in Cyprus and Spring. They have three locations. Tasting Point in Magnolia. Captain Brad's off of 249. They're awesome. Uh, <laughs> you should go you should go see them. Yeah.
0: And then our house. Yes. You're and then the our house. house. Yes. Uh, my cards are out there. Y'all yes. can just let me know. There you, go. Go. There you go. And Boyer yes. Miller. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Boyer Miller, yeah. there's socks now, we, yeah. and Chris's house. And my house.
1: So yes, yes we, we, we have, have a good stash, stash house, in our server room, which, which doubles, doubles as a wine cellar. cellar. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's the, the right, right temperature. temperature. Yeah. Uh, so yes. I just <laughs> want to thank the two of you for agreeing to do this and coming to share your story. This has it's been fabulous. amazing. It's uh, been so fun. Thank you so well, I appreciate yeah, you. Thanks and for having I, us. I thank you all for
2: coming. I got to meet. We got to meet Steve and Jet and Mr. Miller, and it's all, this has been really awesome, and got to network with such cool people, and appreciate you all welcoming Crystal back. And, yes, uh, thank
0: you. And letting
2: me tag
1: along.
0: He's like an honorary Texan. There you go, there you go. <laughs> we just got to get back <laughs> but, in the
1: booth. I, I appreciate <laughs> you. So we, we have time for maybe a question or two from the audience, if, y'all, if anyone has a question. If you do have a question, go to the back, we have a microphone so we can hear it, but... If not, oh, we do. There is a question. Okay, here we go. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> no, you're not. You should, you should be, be concerned.
2: concerned. <laughs> I saw her double fisting earlier.
0: What did I you? Oh, now you should really stick it to him. Yeah, Sure. No shame in (laughs) double fisting. We are a firm of hospitality. (laughs) Yes. Love it. You hear a lot about vintages and the year of the fires got a lot of attention and you don't want to buy a 17 because the grapes smell like ash or whatever. What can you tell us about your wines and vintages and... Are you blending through so that you're not catching the off years, or how are you managing the weather around vintages? That's a really good question. It's a great question. Yeah, see, yeah, yes, awesome. You should, but listen to the answer first. (laughs) That's so
2: good. That's a great question. I'll specifically talk about the first part of that question, which is the smoke taint, and in 17, this is again a, a major myth, right? So. It was a very warm year, much like this past year. The fire started on October 8th in 2017. 90% of all the nifera vines and the fruit that comes off of them, all the stuff we drink, had all been harvested 90% prior to October 8th. No issue with 2017. Zero. No real issue in eighteen. Didn't really have an issue in 19 because all this stuff happened late. It wasn't until 2020 hit. And the irony of that was Napa and Sonoma itself never had any fires in 20. It was while the fruit was on the vine. It was all coming from outside the counties different states could
0: be two hours away but the way the
2: weather patterns were going in the air came in and it dropped the smoke right down to the ground and what happens at once veraison so veraison is a term everybody probably has heard but all it means is that's the time in august where the grapes turn color but the skins like thin like they they thin down to a millimeter and a half and if you get smoke down right in there, it just sits. Then it can incorporate itself. These smoke compounds can incorporate themselves into the skins of the grapes. That you got to be. And so in 2020, we did not bottle a wine. Nothing. Three to 4,000 cases a year, nothing. A whole vintage just lost. And you panic a little bit. We. Our lawyers are great. Our CPA is really good. Uh, and you know you figure out how to get through that but i guess the uh, how we this kind of goes back to how we manage vineyards so there's two different ways to manage a vineyard you can manage it to your business plan or you can manage it to its natural balance and equilibrium okay and that's what we do i'm not saying one's better than the other If you want to make consistently high quality, like really high quality wine, you can't manage the vineyards to your business plan. And what I mean by that is like your distributors in Florida and New York and Illinois and California and Texas are telling you, I need X, Y, and Z cases. And you're like, oh, okay, well, so the vineyard needs to produce this. But the vineyard doesn't want to produce that here. So then you make it. And this is the cool thing about vinifera varietals. They are so amazing you can essentially make them do whatever you want you can produce as much fruit you can produce as little you can manipulate the hell out of them and they will allow it and it's pretty remarkable what we do my my dad said you got to have the testicular fortitude (laughs) to stick to whatever your plan is okay so you got to grow a pair (laughs) And you got to maintain some balance. And so what that means is you have to, whatever, when the vines wake up in the spring, they want to push a certain amount of fruit. It might not be the quantity that you want. But if you let it go, you're going to make consistent quality wine. But the problem is your production goes like this. And the wholesale market doesn't like that. Direct to consumer market loves it because in the worst vintages ever, 2011, right? Everybody bashed it in my entire career. 2011 was the, the worst by all the writers, the worst thing ever. And yeah, we were supposed to make 2,500 cases that year and we made 800. How do you survive? Well, you're selling all of that direct to consumer and there you just, you work it out and the quality just stays. And so when your customers, when you constantly deliver every year and you constantly deliver, they notice. And we always put the case production on the back of every bottle so they see it. Oh, this one was 275. Must have been a great year. This one 98. Oh, geez. Like, but when they open it, they're like, Oh yeah. Wow. Right. right. <laughs> Good. Right. So you're not sacrificing quality. Right. So two, two different ways. You just have to figure out what your business plan is. Ours is consistent quality, period.
0: How many people do you think – I mean, you this is ridiculous because you don't know this, but, I mean, just in general, there's a lot of 20s, 20 vintages that are out there. Yeah. Should they be concerned, do you think? Yeah. I mean, what's the deal with that? No, because, uh, you know – They might taste the, okay, but they might have smoke yeah, compounds in them. Yeah, because it's
2: not everywhere. Like, Napa and Sonoma took a beating, right? It, it really did. Now, Napa and Sonoma, if we put this in perspective – just in California wine production, Napa and Sonoma is 4%. 4% of the entire state is what? both of them combined. Okay, that's astounding. Like it's very small. Central so it's nothing mm-hmm. to totally be concerned about. Plus, there's UC Davis gave us a bunch of protocols that you could use to try to you know, mitigate the impact from the smoke particles and, and the taint. It's just, I don't, I think you're fine. If you find one, I trust my industry. Even the high producing volume producers, I trust them because that stuff is very hard to do. You know, I'm, I might bash a certain producer because I don't drink their style, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't like that, but I won't bash them for their business or like the, it's very hard to make millions of cases of things, even taste good. And let alone do it, make it the same every year and do that. It's very hard. Just as hard to make our wine as it is to make a million cases of something. Mm So, you know, lots of respect for this industry. And I don't, I really don't think they're going to put something out there. That'd be an outlier Mm -hmm. if somebody pushed something that was just really garbage. You know, yeah.
1: Good deal. All right. Good question. One more.
0: I am the wife and mother of three Aggies and uh, one of whom is named Ryan. Welcome to the great state of Texas. Uh, My question is, as you know, there are many Texas wineries, including one that shall remain unnamed in Bryan College Station. Uh, (laughs) Have you ever thought about growing grapes in the great state of Texas
2: and how do you feel about the soil conditions, etc.? Great question. You might need more I need for the winery that will be unnamed. I am meeting Paul next week. <laughs> wow.
1: So I grew up in Ryan. Oh, oh, I know Paul, yes, Ryan. yes, okay. So I will. Tell I do him think his port hello. is one of there was it used to be one of the better ports. Around. You, you, in
2: in in your question, you bring up something that's a really good point because soil is probably the thing I. Think about least because vines, these things are, I mean, just straight up magical to to start. They do not need, when we all think of farming, we think of like really rich soil and you're thinking, you know, stuffy dirt you can get your hands on and you do all that. But the irony is some of the greatest vineyards in the world have no soil whatsoever, right? They're in... All types of rock or clay or nasty stuff. I mean, just things that you'd like walk through and you're like, what? I mean, if you ever walk through parts of Northern Burgundy or Right Bank, Left Bank, Bordeaux or, you know, all sorts of parts of Napa. I mean, Napa had, the cool thing about Napa is every single soil type that you and any soil engineers in here, you're probably going to know this. Every single We're, soil type that, so- and, <laughs> every single soil type that exists on this planet, is found in Napa and Sonoma every single one it's a phenomenal place but it's not a rich soily thing you know the climate and the weather super important and it and then on top of that when you get certain weather events is what is really impactful. People always ask me, "What's the what makes Napa and Sonoma? And all these random places where the greatest wines in the world, right, they're just a very small percentage of our land mass in the world, right, where you make the greatest wines. And they get what you're supposed to get when you're supposed to get it to grow these things. Okay. So then transitioning to Texas, that doesn't happen here okay now with that being said you these vines are awesome like you can and so if you go up to the panhandle because most of the great wines in texas are not grown in fredericksburg you know that's where we go to enjoy and we go to see the wineries and drink the stuff but like the great, the stuff that wins the awards right in, in Texas, because we're the fourth largest producer of wine in the U.S. It's a big deal, there you go.
0: Big deal, right? Cool.
2: All of those vineyards are up in the panhandle. They're all up near Oklahoma. I mean, almost all of them, right? And they're, I mean, all use spectacular for what they are, right? You're, but you wanna just be your, you wanna be yourself, right? You don't want to, it's never going to be any other region, right? New Mexico has become one of the hotbeds of the greatest sparkling productions in the United States. Like things are evolving and it'll change and you don't become the fourth largest producer in the U.S. because you just make crappy stuff all the time, right? So it's going to get better and better. Oh.
1: Well, say you said what you're saying is you can't make California wine in Texas. Which I can't, is right? Yeah. I can't. Not yet. No, it was, its Not different. Yet. Not yet.
0: But he all right. appreciates all wines for what they are, where they came from, and how they're made. And yeah,
1: very good. Yeah. All right. So, so, thank you. We are going to wrap this up. If you <laughs> want to have additional questions <laughs> with Ryan or Crystal, the bar is still going to be open back in the yeah. lounge. Before we do that, we did have a raffle, so oh, right. we have winners of the raffle. Winner. Okay, so we had a vodka, snap vodka basket that goes to Chastity Cooper.
0: Oh, yeah. oh. Yay. The Chastity.
1: And by, and by the way, you had to subscribe to the podcast to be registered for the raffle. Oh, uh, they're all like, ah. Uh, you, you didn't, you can still register, subscribe to the podcast. I would encourage you to please do that. There's QR codes at the tables around you. And please listen. As I said, this is the 40th episode. We have tons of great episodes to listen to. Tons more on the way. Second raffle item goes to Sharon Scott. Uh, Sharon <laughs> Scott. I think that one was just, that was wine. That was wall wine. wine. Oh my uh, gosh. How fun. Keep in mind on the way out, we have wine tumblers. Please take one and enjoy wine in that. And then I want to thank my amazing team who put this whole thing together. Oh, yeah, they are amazing. Josie Morgan, (laughs) Drew Carpenter, Eddie Castillo. Some of it on here, Isha Cotton, Courtney Outland and jimmy johnson they helped set this whole thing up as well as our friends at savage brand so thank you for all you yes. do awesome job uh, so the first time we've done this here and it won't be the last this was i mean this setup's amazing it's fun so if you can subscribe as i said and write a review of the podcast we'd appreciate that so i'll see y'all at the bar it's still open thank,
0: yeah. you. thank y'all for coming thank you this
1: And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at boyermiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at boyermiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.